your seat, cross the building, hug somebody, greet them, welcome the visitors. Come on, Grace Point. Amen. Welcome. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If you have your Bible want to read with us, we're going to read uh, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Going to read 17 through 19 of Romans chapter 5. Amen. Everybody good? It was too cold for some of them I see this morning. They need to talk to Ron, tell them about New Jersey, right? I, uh, just in my seeking the Lord for this, you know, as we're starting out, at least in our culture, we, we think in terms, it's not necessarily God's calendar, by no means, but our calendar, the Gregorian calendar that we go by, that this is a new month, a new year for us. And it kind of formulates how we approach things, we think in those terms. And I felt like that as we move into the new year, just uh, shoring up some things, reminding us of things, uh, seeing them maybe in a new, in a, in a deeper way. Some things, like I said last Sunday, we, we uh, talked about, entitled the thing, the things that are, and uh and, of course, we, we focused on forgiveness. And uh, Jesus, when he came, he was revealing what already was. Uh, they were just not aware of it. And that really defines how we live our lives. It's an, an awakening to what we really uh, don't know. That's why in Galatians chapter uh, 1, Paul, the apostle writing to the church of Galatia, said that when it pleased the Lord, who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal Christ in me, not to me, but in me. And Paul had a startling revelation that Christ was in him, and he didn't even realize it. And Paul continued with that theme throughout his ministry and throughout 
his preaching. And so much so that in Acts 19, he was there on uh, what the King James calls Mars Hill. And he was talking to Greek philosophers and people that worshiped Zeus and, and, uh, and of that culture. And he had just passed what he said that they had erected a statue to the unknown God. And Paul capitalized on their local culture and, uh, and, and it was very ironic that they even built a statue to the unknown God. And that, that tells us such the condition of humanity is we just don't know. And what we don't know is God. And uh, even though that thinks, those of us that think we know him, uh, we, we don't truly know him. And Jesus came so that we could know him. When Jesus came, he said, no one has ever seen God. That's what he said. That's an amazing statement. That kind of blows away Moses and David and Noah and all, all that stuff. They saw glimpses of God, but they didn't see God. And they told Jesus, show us God. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you've seen God. So Jesus came to, to, to show us and to demonstrate and so that we could see God with our natural eyes. And in Acts 19, Paul told those people that had no clue of who God was, he said that we are all the seed, the offspring of God. Now that changes the playing field. When everybody's the offspring of God, even the ones that don't know it. That's what your Bible says. A lot of Christians wish that wasn't in there because they like to think that they're the only ones. They're the chosen ones and the other folks are, that they're in and the other folk are out. And, and, and you know, we're smart and they're dumb. We're, we're this and they're that kind of deal. That's that dualistic thinking. But Paul said, no, that's not the way it is. He said, for we are all the offspring. If I tell you this is my offspring, what does that mean to you? That's my son or daughter, right? So God said that these, Paul said, that you, that you are all the offspring of God. And then he quoted a verse that a lot of times people think it's just for Christians. He told them, he said, for in him, he's talking to these people a couple of verses down. He said, in him you live, move, and have our very being. So if you didn't have God in you, he said you couldn't even be living. The fact you breathing is God's in you. And we don't, all, we don't understand that we exemplify Genesis creation where God breathed into Adam. He breathed life into him and he became a living soul. He breathed into him. And the very fact that you and I practice something that we don't ever even think about, but the, fact, the, the, the art of breathing, you're, you're, you're demonstrating the creation story. You're drawing in spirit, ruach, wind, air, life. That's what it said God breathed into man. Right? And we breathe that in. And then you exhale that out. You, you release it back to the universe. I know that's too deep for some of you already. <laughs> but that's who we are. And Paul woke up to that. Um, did I ever read the scriptures? I didn't even read scriptures yet, have I? I better read it because it won't be an official meeting unless I read the Bible, right? Romans 5.17 For if by the one man's offense, of course that's Adam if you don't know, death reigned 
through the one. Much more those who receive, notice it's receive, not achieve, abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is something you receive, you don't achieve it, it's something that you have to learn how to receive. And, they, and when you learn how to receive grace and righteousness as a gift, then you'll reign in this life through Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though through one man's offense, judgment came to how many men? All men. Resulting in condemnation. It wasn't God condemning them, but they, they felt that condemnation of, in their own mind. That's why Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden. And even though God went, of course, looking for them. So even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to how many men? Really? Now I want to tell you, these little verses right here really tear up people's theology. It bothers them. They just skip over it. Because he keeps using this all-inclusive, universal phrase, all. So he says, by this one man, Jesus, his, his righteous act, the free gift, came to all men, resulting in justification, that word means made righteous, of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Is that what it says? Now what man is he talking about that was disobedient? Adam. So by one man's disobedience, how many were made sinners? Okay, it says many though, right? In your King James, New King James, it uses the word many. But you just said it, didn't you? And you were right, Jimmy, when you said it. You said all. Because you know many here means all. In other words, by Adam's disobedience, was there a group of people that weren't made sinners by what he did? Is there a little part, another country, part of the planet? Is there a group of people that were not made sinners? Are you telling me that Adam, what he did, affected all of humanity, regardless of race, color, creed? Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you believe the Bible says here? So you don't believe there was no people left out that by this, 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 this disobedience, as the, we'll use the word the Scripture used, this disobedience, all the humanity was made sinners at that point. Hmm. All right, remember you said you believed it now. Comma. Apostle knows what I'm doing. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. Comma. Same sentence. So also. Just like. So also. By one man's obedience, many, same exact Greek word, will be made righteous. So how many will be made righteous? Hmm. Nobody's ever told you that. They tell you the ones that pray the prayer are made righteous. The ones that join the church. The ones that get baptized, the ones that do the rules, the ones that follow the, them's the ones that are. I'm just going to leave it with you. I'm not going to come to no conclusion for you. You're smart people. It's a real simple verse. It uses the same exact Greek word. 
So if you believe by what Adam did, he had the, the power, if you will, to turn all into disobedient people. Sinners is the term. Then the, the, the supreme Christ, by what he does, he has the power to turn many, all, to righteous. And if not, that makes the first Adam more powerful than the last Adam, which is an entirely biblical term referring to Jesus. So this is why when I read the Bible now, with religious cataracts, I had cataract surgery about 15 years ago, religious cataract surgery, and some scales fell from my eyes. Don't think I'm making up stuff because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said happened to him on the road to Damascus. You may be seated. He, he said that scales fell from his eyes. That's what he said. You know what scales fell from Paul's eyes? Religious scales. And do you know in that encounter that he had with the living Christ through a vision or whatever it was, he just referred to it as great light. Now, when I was growing up in church in Pentecostal, we preachers would always just, you know, add to it. They'd say God slapped him off his horse. Anybody ever heard that? God knocked him off his horse. God, God come just knocks him in the ground. That's like a mafia bully. So God knocks him out. God, I've heard preachers say God hit him so hard he couldn't see for three days. And all that preach is good, and I guess it's entertaining, but it's entirely unbiblical. And if God's going to start knocking people out, why just knock that one dude out? I know a bunch of people that I could give their names to God that need knocking out. Don't you? Ain't you got your list? Give me the names out of church. We'll turn. And there's people I wanted God to knock out and straighten up and make them fly right and do right and be right and all that stuff, you know. It just don't work that way. God's not a bully. He's not, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. But what did happen was great light shone upon the Apostle Paul, who was not an Apostle Paul at that time. God didn't change his name. That's not in the Bible either. Paul changed his own name. And he changed his name from the very specific Hebraic Saul to the universal, widely, worldwidely accepted Greek name, Paul. Same name different language. When Paul, before he had an encounter, he thought only the Jews had any chance of any relationship with God and that they were special and chosen by God. And they were, but no more were they special and chosen than you are. And in fact, the Bible is very clear. God explains why he chose the Jewish people and why he came to earth in the flesh the Word, in the, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word became flesh. Why He came in the earth suit of a Jewish man. And there's no arguing that. But he, God said He chose them because they were the weakest on the planet. As He looked out all of the nations, and they were the weakest. Not because they were the strongest or the smartest or the most special, or, but they, because they were the weakest. And he chose them to demonstrate his greatness and his love. 
for this world. Well, I've heard people, I grew up on the theology of an angry God. And I lived in fear of him for many decades as a believer. And I always thought any hell I was going through, I was being paid back for my choices, my sins. By God, I mean. And um, because they told me he's in control, right? So he's behind everything. Even my pain, my trauma, my sorrow. And um, which I no longer hold to that. But, but I, I grew up and lived miserably as a believer for a long time. Fearing this angry, retributive, punitive God. And, um, you know, and, and when I would hear preachers preach and I would hear in my concept and my view of God, it, it was so messed up. See, because when, when you take a half truth and then you make that a whole truth, you end up with an untruth. Right? And, and what happens is in you, you preach and portray and proclaim that untruth and it causes our image of God to be flawed. So much so that a lot of people in America particularly and all over the world, but people in America, we'll talk about America since we're here, but, but so they, they've, most of us have grown up with a really flawed, erroneous, unbiblical even, view, image of God. He's blamed for hurricanes, tornadoes, premature deaths, children dying, he needed an angel in heaven. All those things are demonic lies that impugn the nature and the name and character of love, who is God. God is love. Love could never be in controlling a person because love does not control. God could never have a record of your wrong that you've ever done because the Bible says love keeps no record of wrong done. Well, is God love or is he not? So if God is love by his very nature and essence of being love, then everything that God does, says, comes out of and is a result of love. And I'm not talking about the sick kind of love. And what I mean, there's no such thing as sick love from God. But, you know, I, I was a paramedic for 20 years, and I've seen some really sick stuff. And I won't go in detail. I used to do that a lot when I was a young preacher. I thought if I told enough car wreck stories, I'd get them to the altar, you know, kind of deal. But uh, I saw some sick stuff. I mean, I'd see, like, abusive situations, abusive relationships where uh, one spouse uh, beats the other spouse into the ground with their fist. And while we're there trying to work on the person, the spouse that did the beating is, tell, is, is verbalizing how much he loves her. That's a very common thing. I love you. Well, you just beat me to almost to death. But I love you, though. How many knows that's not love? Just because you call it love, that don't make it love. And so God is love. And, and so 
You know, it's almost like I used to hear people. It's like John 3, 16. This is how a lot of folks need to read it. For God so hated the world that he killed his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Now you can say, well, that's stupid. That's exactly how they believe. And they don't quote it that way, but that's how they preach it. For God so hated the world that he killed Jesus. Because somebody had to get between God and the bullet that was coming. And so Jesus was innocent and pure, and he stood there and he took the bullet so you didn't have to get the bullet. And that's their theology. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for God so loved the cosmos. And that ain't Kramer from Seinfeld. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all don't even know that. God so loved the cosmic world. That's what it says. The world. That includes everything person and everything in it. God so, not just love. It's like somebody said, I love you, and then they, if they throw that so in there, I so love you. That, that's giving it some extra oomph, right? So I, God so loved the world that he didn't kill his son, he gave his son. He gave him. And all God's asking that, that we believe in him. And if you do that, you'll see the next verse is true. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world will be saved. If you're saved, that implies rescue. If, if the Coast Guard saved you, then we could say they rescued you. So this was a rescue. If you limit Jesus' life and ministry to the the, the uh, six hours that he hung on the cross, you, you really diminish and demean him. If all that counts is that six hours on the cross, then why do we even read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I mean, why, why do we even, we don't even need it. And if you relegate Jesus to coming as a plan B because man screwed up, then you diminish God because Jesus, the Christ, the Word, is, is God in the triuneness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you make Him an insignificant plan B afterthought. Go down there and rescue Him kind of deal. That's your whole purpose. That's not Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. If you read the New Testament, you'll find out that who did all the creating? The Word did. Jesus did. It says He's the creator of everything. Everything. And the whole world is held together by the power of His Word. Amen? Now, I know this is getting out there, man. This will, this will be like frying your brain, even this way I'm talking to you. But what I'm trying to get you to see, when Jesus came, He, he declared the things that they didn't know, but those things were already are. And so last Sunday we talked about forgiveness, and this Sunday we're talking about righteousness. And you know, another thing, maybe next Sunday is, I, I, I want, I'm doing this, I'm doing a series. How many often do I do that? But I want to talk about the things that are. Because Jesus, that's what he came to reveal. I want to tell you things that are. Faith calls the things that be not as though they are, because they already are. We just don't know they are. So you didn't know that you were the child of God. You, not, you didn't know you was the offspring. That's why I took people like Paul to tell that to a people that worship Zeus. No, you got it wrong. It ain't Zeus, but it would be easy for most Christians in America to worship Zeus because they already are 
worshiping Zeus. They're already worshiping Zeus. They don't call him Zeus, but if you take away the name Zeus and just put the name of God in there and read how Zeus acts and what he does, that's their God. He sends lightning bolts from heaven. He gets you. He'll drop that supernatural bomb on you. Come on. You don't call him that. See, that offends people. I can feel the, you feel the kickback, you know, when you say something like that. Who worships? Oh, yeah, you worship Zeus. You just don't call him Zeus. But Zeus is the living God with people throwing false doctrine on him. Paul said, y'all worshiping Zeus, but you got all of it messed up. You don't even know who he is. That's why you got your statue. And I have been sent to tell you who he is. See, when Paul had that great light encounter on the Damascus Road, Paul was very uh, limited, very um, small, very focused on who's in, who's out. And it was very easy. Just a small little group of people on the planet called Jews are in, and the whole rest of the planet is out. And you're out by birth. You're a Gentile. You're out. You're not included. You're, you, you know, you're going to hell. Jews... By birth, we're in, y'all out, we're good, you're bad, we're smart, you're dumb, we're better, you're worse. That was Paul's view. And then Paul was even smaller inside the Jewish sect to saying, you got to be part of our group, the Pharisees. You, you got to be like me. And you got to think like me, and you got to worship like me, and you got to go to church like me, and you got to think like me. And if you don't think like me, then that means God's not for you. And in my mind, then I can make you my enemy, and I can claim that God's backing me up, and I can kill you in His name. And people do that all the time on this planet. Because, see, you think God is for your political party. See, I can control the train whistle. <laughs> I don't want to get into that, but I, want, I do want to say that. You think that God's for your candidate. And you think God is against who you against. And that you've got supernatural God on your side choosing who... Well, who's going to win the upcoming election? Whoever gets the most votes. God ain't running. God ain't voting. It's your planet. And that's in the book. Everybody think God's behind. God, God raised up and chose our leader until your leader don't win. What happened then? I thought God put them in, set them up, put them down. You got to make up your mind what crazy theology you're going to believe of yourself. But see, what I'm saying, my point in that, is it's easy to make the world and people and other groups your enemy and hate them and even in the name of God kill them. You may not physically kill them. That's, that's, you know, that's, you're going to get in trouble with the civil authority then. But you can have hatred in your heart, which Jesus said you're still a murderer if you hate your brother. And we don't like that either. So Paul encounters the living Christ on the Damascus Road. 
And this is what blew his mind. This Christ says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus makes the people that Paul is persecuting equivalent to himself. Now let's take a moment, think on that. Jesus says, Paul, Saul, the people that you're persecuting is me. He, and he told him twice, is that right? He said, you're persecuting me. Well, Paul didn't think he was persecuting Christ. He was persecuting those people, those heathens, those unbelievers or whatever he called them. But he was persecuting them to the point of, of condemning them to death. You know he held the code of those that stoned Stephen to death, and he affirmed that, that murder. <clears throat> but Jesus startled this, this man, this religious man, and said, you're, you're persecuting me because they are me. Now, I'm being real slow right here because I want that to really sink in, but if you, if you realize that the people that you're persecuting is Jesus, you won't be quick to persecute them. No matter who they are, what color they are, where they go or don't go to church, you won't persecute them because you're persecuting him. Jesus told us, did he not? Whatever you do to the least of them, you're doing it to who? Me. Me. And it was that me phrase that radically changed the Apostle Paul's view, worldview. We call it our worldview. And his worldview in that moment changed radically. He no longer saw himself as the only one in. He saw that we're all in because they're all me, which is him. See, we, get, we, we have faith in Christ so that we can live by the faith of Christ. Paul said in he said, for the faith that the life that I now live, and your King James has got it right, the New King James even, their translators, you know, changed it. But what it says in the Bible is what the apostle said, and he said, for the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He didn't say I live by the faith in the Son of God, because that puts the burden on you. But he said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The faith you have is Jesus' faith. Those are things that are. Just like the righteousness you have is Jesus' righteousness. Just like the forgiveness you have is Jesus' forgiveness. See, those are things that are. You just didn't know they are. Until somebody like me comes to tell you that they are. And just can point you to the things that are. And then it's up to you to believe that or not. But if you believe that, then it transforms everything. Just like it did Paul. And then Paul started living his life out of that cosmic view of the world. And he loved everybody. And he knew everybody was in. The, the, the apostles, the 12 apostles struggled with this. And that's why John would stand at the city limits, I told you last Sunday, and ask Jesus, do you want us to call fire down and burn this place to the ground because they wouldn't let us come preach here? And Jesus said, you don't even know what you're talking about, man, what kind of spirit you're in. I didn't come to destroy people's lives. I came to save them. And so, it, it just changed everything. 
And, and what I'm trying to say to you today is that when you receive grace, because it's free, and receive what grace brings, which is righteousness. All right, so when you see the word righteousness, in our English Bibles, there is one Greek word that is translated two different ways. It is translated just or justified or justification, just, or it is either translated righteous or, you know, righteousness, right? Same word. And the biblical translators that translated your and my Bibles that most of us carry, they took that same word and they translated it differently depending on the sentence or the context it was in. But it means the exact same thing. So I'm asking you and telling you it's, it's theologically sound and correct. When you see the word righteous or justified, it's the same word. And so when you see the word justified, we've been justified by faith. The Bible says that over and over. Then that's, it's proper to read it and say we are made righteous by faith. The Bible says, no person shall be made righteous, justified by the law. For the law was not given to make men righteous. The law was given to make men recognize that their need for a Savior and that they're sinners without, without God. And so you, you've been made righteous. Now, when I grew up in the early church, I thought righteousness was something that, you know, you achieved. That somehow you finally got there one day or something. You, no, no. You, you are righteous at the point that you believe in, in God's goodness, in, in Christ. You are, you, the righteousness is a gift. That means you didn't earn it. It's not a wage. It's not a paycheck. You don't earn righteousness. But most of us never were told to think of and identify that we're righteous. And the reason we're righteous and what that word means, see, because when we see the word Americans, they see the word justice, they think immediately court and a legal matter. Right? Come on now. There's nothing wrong with thinking that way. It's just how we've been raised up. But when we see the word righteousness, what we think, church, is we think of right living or the, 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 you know, the way we live. I'm telling you, the Bible that you have in your lap does not make that distinction. Nowhere. There is not that distinction in Scripture. They are one and the same, and they are the same word. Now, the Bible speaks many times about the righteous. Everything God does and promises are for righteous people. Now, it says the prayers of a righteous man accomplishes much, right? When I grew up in church, I was always told that if I had a real serious need, go get brother so-and-so to pray for you. Because he's close to God, and he's a righteous man. And so I figured that guy, we always had people like that we could peg that could get a prayer through. We didn't know through what. But we, that guy can get the envelope, envelope prayer you know, delivered to the Lord. you got a better chance if your mail runs through that dude. Anybody ever in the church got talked to like that by people? Go get that guy to pray. Go get that lady to pray. She's close to God. And I've told you how dumb that is. There's nothing wrong to, for you to have a desire to enhance your spiritual connectivity and all that, but you are in Christ. And so it's stupid to pray, I want to pray, Brother Dale, and I've used this example, I don't know. Anyway, you're in the, you're in the sanctuary of Grace Point now, in case you're high and didn't know that when you came in here. But you're in the sanctuary of Grace Point Church. So it would be foolish on your part. I'm not calling you a fool. It would be a foolish prayer for you to pray, Pastor Dale, would you pray that I would be close to the sanctuary? 
And, and I would say, darling, you're in it. You can't get closer than you're already in. The Bible says we were all once away from God because we just didn't know. We, we, were, we were foreigners. We, we perceived that we were enemies of God in our own mind, it says. But it says, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been, made, we, we've been brought in, in our minds, if you believe it. So you're in Christ. So if you live your life in a position, I'm in Christ. But see, I didn't live my early Christian decades like that. I lived it. Today I'm in. I screwed up, and now I'm out. I got to get back in. How do you get back in? You tell God you're sorry, you pray, you repent, you confess, you weep. And then if you do it sincerely, then he'll let you back in. And then, and then I screw up again. Anybody, I don't get no help on that. But then I screwed up again. Sin, whatever you want to call it. And then, I, then God, God's on his throne. So then God, you know, this, this, you know got his face towards me in, in, in the sunshine and, and he likes me. Now I've sinned and so he's so holy they told me he can't look at sin. That's not in the Bible either, but that's what they said. They said God can't look at sin. Uh, by the way, was Jesus God? Emmanuel, right? Did he hang out with sinners? Did he talk with sinners? Okay, you see how that blows up real quick, theologically? So God's mad at me now, so then God swivels. He's in a swivel chair. He sits in a swivel seat. So God turns his back on me. God don't hear my prayers. He ain't going to help me. I'm on my own. I'm just really done for until I repent. And then I beg and cry and tell God I'm sorry. And then so God's not mad at me no more. So then God turns his favor back on me again. Okay, you said you were sorry. Let's try this again. And then it don't take me a long script again. And now God turns away from me again. And so it's just God gets dizzy. And that's why he can't see you because he's everything's dizzy because you got him in a swivel chair and he's spinning all around because he's always turning towards you or away from you which is totally bogus and totally religious and totally a lie, but that was my view, and that's your view in a lot of ways. And I pray that you would lose that view today because God don't sit in a swivel chair. Only person that ever turns is us. And you have the ability to turn towards him or turn away. And I've told you this bright, these bright lights up here are shining right in my face. They're right on me. And, and, and they're constant and they're there like God's love. But I have the ability to make a decision to do this. And as soon as I did that, on this carpet right here is a shadow. It is dark right there and it is light right there. But it, there is a shadow here now. And it is dark. And now that's all I can see is the dark shadow. It's still like I'm not in pitch darkness. But it's not as bright this way as it was when I was faced that way. And, and God didn't create this darkness right here. I did. I created it. And I created it by turning my face away from Him. But He'll never turn away from me. And all I have to do is just believe that He loves me and believes that He's always the same and He never changed and turn back to Him. And when I turn back to Him, then I see better. I see more clearly because I have, I'm back in the light. But God's light is always all around me anyway because I'm in Him. But we make those daily choices and daily decisions and, and, and how we live our lives. And our life, listen to me, what I'm trying to get you to see, man, I'm running out of time today. 
And I had a real good sermon on the iPad. But, but I, uh, so, I, see, we all, you, we, have a, we have your true self, your true self, and then we have a false self. And, and when I say false self, I don't mean bad self or evil self. I, I just mean it's not, it's not who you are. Now, your false self is something that you, is the culmination of all the things that happened in your life. It, it's, it's your soul agreement with your parents, with your class chums. They, they help identify or help, you, you enter into a belief system about who you are. A lot of folks think they who they are, their false self is because of the car they drive or the money they make or the house they live in. And they grow up and they try to live that, but your false self cut to the chase is everything that you can't take with you. That's your false self. If it, if it burns up and stays here, that's not who you are. Because who you are goes with you. Because that is you. Man, I felt God on that. So your false self is that agreement that we've made. Things, traumas, disappointments has happened to us. And if we're not, it'll formulate. Just because you can think it don't mean it's true. And that's your false self and 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 uh, and I'm glad you got. But see, like I, I watched my grandbabies just the other day uh, playing these game video games, and, that, and that's fine. Ain't nothing, you know, it could be wrong depending on the game. <laughs> but they're playing these games and stuff. And um, this one game they're playing is Fortnite. I think it's called Fortnite. And 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 they're big time into that right now. And um, and little Addie, she's handed me a controller a couple times, you know. And you're just killing a bunch of people, you know. You're trying to be the last man standing, deal. And I get killed like in the first five seconds, you know, just, I don't even, anyway. But I noticed in the game that most of the cars that they can jump in in the game and drive are G-Wagons. Anybody know what G-Wagon is? How many young people here know what G-Wagon is? Yeah. Look at Abel, my little grandson on the back wall about to throw his hand out. He know what G-Wagon is. You gone, son. I need to see you sitting back there. That little old hand went up. So we was in Jacksonville, I told you, last weekend, I, yeah, last weekend, with my daughter, and we was walking down there at the St. John's Town Center, and we coming by, and there's, there's a black G-Wagon parked right there. And my grandchildren just, poof, ate them, that's my dream car, Poppy. And I said, that, yeah, that's, he said, that's what's in them games, you know, and I said, yeah, that's, that's nice, son. I said, what that thing cost? And, and his daddy, uh, Aiden's daddy got on his phone, it said that begin, the price begins at 190000 Begins. He said, that's the car I want, puppy. And, and the little Addie said, she said, I'm getting one too. But see, that's your false self. Because you think if you drive a G-Wagon, that makes you somebody. That makes you Valuable more important, more significant. And I didn't say it's evil, but I'm just trying to tell you that that's your false self. And most people spend all their lives and energy and effort to shore up and to construct a false self. You know that 
that person you post on social media after you filtered it and adjusted it is your false self. You don't want them to see what you really look like when you wake up in the morning. Oh, I, I got to talk to these people here. These people, they, they quit listening to me. I'm going to talk to y'all. I love y'all. See, they always smiling at me. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm not trying to beat up on something. I'm just saying that's not your true self. Your true self is nobody ever said it better than Paul. I think it's Colossians 3 3. But Paul said, he said, this is what it boils down. This is your life. He said, your life is this. You are hidden with God in Christ. That's your true self. Paul said, that's who you are. You are hidden with God in Christ. And you were that before you knew that. And you're a child of God even if you don't believe it. Even if you don't appreciate it. Even if you don't appropriate it. You're still a child of God. And God loves you. God loves anything He created. And He's created you. You wouldn't be here apart from Him. And you wouldn't breathe without Him. Because you're in Him. And in Him... You live, and you move, and you have being. You are a human being. You are not a human doing. You are loved because you be, and you are loved because you are beloved. You be loved by love, because He made you. And He loves and cares for what He's made, even if it's a sparrow. He watches one when it falls to the ground. It is not insignificant, and it is not without papa's notice. He knows the hairs of your head because he has numbered each of them. He doesn't know that you have 5,000 hairs. He knows which hair is 49, which hair is 27. He knows when you combed your hair this morning, hair 16 came unrooted and went to the ground. You do not know yourself like that. No one knows you like that. God knows you like that. What's he trying to say? Is he a hair counting God? He's just trying to use an example to try to convey to human brains how much he cares and what matters to him is you. Now your true self is what God's, is your life hidden with God in Christ. And you can't do anything to shore that up or change it. I'm sorry, you're stuck with it. And I'm not, I don't mean that I'm sorry, I mean I'm really happy. You're stuck with who you are, really. And that's what's going with you wherever you go. We always in the church say, well, I believe, we believe in life after death. That's your problem. That's your trouble right there. You need to start believing in life before death. We believe in life before death and life after death. Because when you believe in Christ, you have life. Eternal life. And it doesn't start at heaven. Or whatever. If you, if you relegate salvation to I go to heaven, then you have greatly diminished the kingdom of God. 
You go to heaven when you believe in Christ. That's why Paul said, man, don't you understand? We are all seated in heavenly places right now in Christ Jesus. People say, man, you going to heaven, Brother Dale, when you die? I say, baby, I'm already there. They look at you like you're on drugs. You know, just, oh, religious people can't. I mean, they, they spend their whole life. They struggle with this righteousness. See, and, and this this past week, and it makes me so upset, and so I just feel such, ah, you know, and I wish I didn't, and... To the point, sometimes I just want to just shut down all social media and just not ever look at it again. There's just so much junk on there. And I hate all these people that are spokesmen for my papa that are not authorized. I hate it. And they're just so (laughs) non-smart. And so this guy put, he said, he says, uh, I was reading, you know, he said, all the, he said, you know, all the prophets of the Old Testament had one mission, and that was to command people to get right with God. And I thought, what a liar. What a diabolical liar this guy is. And how ignorant must he be? He's apparently never read the Bible. Why don't you take your Bible and any computer Bible phrase you want to, why don't you type in these words right here, get right. Get back to me on how many times you find it. It ain't in the Bible. Nowhere is there no phrase that says get right. And if you want to put the mustard on it, type in get right with God. No phrase from Genesis to Revelation ever in Scripture that tells anybody to get right. Get right or get left. You see them on them church marquees? Rapture. Get right or get left. Eternity, smoking or non-smoking, you choose. Man, that's when I want to go on a shooting spree right there. When, when churches do that. I'm like, I can't believe y'all that stupid. If you did believe in hell like that, you're making light of it. Smoking section, non-smoking, you choose. Because you know why they're doing that? Arrogance. We're in, you're out. We're smart, you're stupid. We're Baptist, you're a Methodist. Whatever. We speak in tongues, you don't. It breaks my heart. So the guy says, that's what all the prophets, ain't no prophet ever said get right with God. You know that's an impossible, that's an oxymoron statement. Man can never get right with God. Side the road, you'll see signs. There's a road, there's still a sign between here and Lakeland. You go in the backwoods, it says on the side, get right with God. Every time I go there, I want to get out with a baseball bat and beat that sign off the road. Because a man don't have the ability to get right with God. God is the one that got right with man. Not because God was wrong, but the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God did the reconciling. God did not have to be reconciled to the world. Because God's never abandoned the world, never abandoned man. God's never turned his back upon man. Therefore, God needed not to be reconciled himself, but God reconciled that needed it, and that was us. Because God's never forsaken us. He's never left us, and he never will. And so, you can't get right with God. And when, when we talk about getting right with God, Jesus is what makes us right with God. And, and when you get right with God, you know what you are? You're righteous. And all I'm trying to tell you is you have to have 
to live this life. Now, like Paul said, if you will receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, he said, now it'll change how you live and you'll reign in this life in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means you'll live differently because you'll live out of the revelation. I'm the righteousness of God. And I was trained and taught that when you sin and you screw up, you confess your sin. And the Bible doesn't teach that. And I know you think I'm just committed heresy by saying that. Not in the New Testament. What you do, you see, like, we, we taught people, like, let the sick say I am what? Healed or whole or well. Let the sick say. See, we'll talk about maybe that next Sunday. Because the Bible says, by his stripes, you are are healed. I'm, I'm preaching about things that are. So you don't have to get healed, you are healed. You don't have to get saved, you are saved. It's just when you, anyway. But you, you got to understand when, so we, we told them, you know, let the sick say, confess, that I'm healed. Well, that's good, isn't it? We agree with that. We, that's good. Let the poor say I am Rich. What are they doing? They're confessing the opposite. Even though the situation declares that they're poor, but they're confessing something greater because they know they're headed to bigger, better, and greater in God. And we always are. So let the sick say I'm well. Let the poor say I'm rich. Um, and, and, and we run through that whole litany. I won't go through all that. My time's coming away. But listen. So when it comes to sin, we say, so if we stay with that, that, that concept that the sick say I'm well, let the, you know, let the poor say, I am rich, you know, and we go through that. Then when it comes, let the sinner say, I'm righteous. Should be what we confess. So when we sin, we should make a declaration out of our mouth, I'm the righteous of God in Christ. But we don't do that, and nobody ever taught us that. We were taught to waller, grovel, and immerse ourselves and focus on our sin, our problem, our error, our failure, our fault and which never gets you out of it. But imagine a believer that screws up royally. Y'all ever met one? Behold, you see one before you today. At least you can go to leave and say, I saw one. I, I... But now when I sin, and I don't have it on the calendar to do it next week, by the way, but when I do, uh, I heard of this dude the other day that with every New Year's, because they just had this. This is so stupid. But it's so stupid, I got to tell it. And it was wrote as being true. But in some church around here, every New Year's Eve, they have a watch night meeting, and we, we used to do a lot of that. But they allow the people to stand up and give testimony, and that's fine. And But this one brother would stand up every year, they said, and testify that he, he had lived that whole year without sinning. Can you imagine that? I've actually been in a service where a lady did that in Cecil, Georgia. And even then, when I was Pentecostal to the bone, I knew she was lying. And if she hadn't sinned before then, she just did then. But, but that guy, they said he would stand up. For the past three years, he had stood up on New Year's Eve service and said he had not sinned. And they said this year, this one that just went by, he stood up and told them that, you know, he lived all year by the grace of God without sinning. And he said, but I'm going to be leaving uh, this church and all because the Lord showed me that if I stay here that I would. <laughs> so he left. That was his parting uh, testimony there and he's, he's gone on to bless another congregation. And I pray you're not sitting in our midst. 
<laughs> no, I love you, man. We accept you, but we got to help you. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. I should have quit five minutes ago. But when you know, so when I see now, I remember the first time I ever did it. Really screwed up in my mind. Felt like I broke the heart of God, whatever. I'm like, man, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to act like that. I don't want to lose my temper or find it and put it on display or whatever you want to call it. And just feel horrible. You know, and I've had preach. well, you're supposed to feel horrible. <laughs> you're supposed to feel <laughs> Well, that's not coming from God. That's coming from me. And I'm very good at condemning myself, guilting myself. You ever been on trips, vacations, so forth? You've been on a guilt trip? That's a vacation, isn't it? But I remember the first time I ever did this, and it took everything I had in my heart to believe through faith. And I remember when I had, I felt so horrible, but in the middle of that, I said, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I confessed in that moment of my greatest, what I, in that moment of failure, not greatest, but in my moment of failure, I confessed with my lips so that my ears could hear it, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you do that, and you believe that, and you live out of that, that sin will turn you loose. It has no ability to hold on to you. For the righteous shall fall seven times. What they do, but they get up again. If you don't believe what I'm preaching, and know that your true self is righteous, how righteous? As righteous as Jesus is, because that's where you got it from. If you don't, listen, if you don't believe that, I hate to tell you, I'm not prophesying failure on anybody, but according to our history and the Bible, righteous men still fall. They still do. Righteous men and women still fall. And, that, and why, if not, why have the Scripture? But when the righteous one falls, he'll get back up again. Why? Because you have to remind them sometimes when they're laying in the, in the mud, it don't matter. That's why I told you, I don't know if it was last Sunday, when I had that guy come in my office years ago, confessed the most diabolical sins. Me and Pastor Martin were sitting in my office. When he got through telling me and trying to just make my hair curl that his sins were so bad, when he got through, I pointed to him, I told you. And I said, look at me, brother. Look at me. He wouldn't even look up. Tears coming from a motel room where he was contemplating suicide. I said, look at me, brother. I said, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're just as righteous right now as you've ever been before God. For the righteousness you have and hold is the righteousness of Christ. And your actions have not changed that one bit. It is that kind of revelation that brought that guy out of that hole. Not instantly. He told me he struggled, didn't even believe it. But he become to believe it. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you do fall, know that you're still righteous, even though you've had a fall. And what do you do? That gives you the strength to get back up again. Righteous of all seven times. But you'll get back up again. What, 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 you get back, why do you get back up? Because you're righteous. That did not, your fall didn't change your righteousness. God doesn't fluctuate because, because it's not based on your behavior. Now, right, righteousness is not right living. I'm for right living. But righteousness biblically is right believing. 
It is the believing that makes you righteous. It's not the living that makes you righteous. So righteousness, the gift, is believing right. Because if you believe righteously, guess what you'll do more of? You'll live righteously. You'll live out of that righteousness. And even when you screw up, you won't lay there for six months in the wallering pen because you, righteous people don't do that. They got things to do. You just get up and you, and you get up because you know you're righteous. I know that, you know, religion will try to tell you lay there, do penance. You, you know, you got to serve your time in a penalty box and all that. But a righteous person goes, no, I'm still righteous. I, I have fallen, but I, I get back up again. And I, and I put one foot in faith in front of the other, and I go on with my life, and I trust God to lead me. God loves me. God's for me. He will never leave me or forsake me. And you go on with your life. And this is how we got to live our lives. And that's called living in faith, living in the Spirit, living in victory. And it's a much better way to be a Christian. And it's a lot more enjoyable. Can I tell you that? It's much more enjoyable. I want you to stand with me. I hope this helps somebody. I'm going to give you a chance to do what Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says. And this is how we're going to wind it up. And then if you want prayer, you come down here. I'll be right here with you to pray with you. You know, because I'm a righteous man, and I can get a prayer through. No, I'm just <laughs> but I am righteous in Christ. In Christ. Romans 10 says that if we believe this, we believe it in our heart, then we'll use our mouth to confess what we believe. And it says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So with your mouth, loud enough at least, please, where your own ears can hear your voice say this, Playing no religious games here, not playing no church games, but sincerely want you, and maybe to help you, maybe for the very first time, to confess out of your mouth. You may be having a wonderful week and a great day, or you may have lived in a hellacious week and had a big failure, and it took every ounce of energy for you to be here today. Either way, nothing changes. So with your mouth I want you to say I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus would you say that with me let's say it together I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus let's say it again wouldn't that feel good let's say it again I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus you are that that's one of the things that are it's as real as God is. You are that. Live out of that. Believe that. And right believing will translate into right living. And you'll do more right than you do wrong. You cannot believe wrong and live right. But you can believe right and live right Occasionally, we'll still do wrong, but you'll get back up quickly. You'll recover quickly because you believe the truth about who your true self is. I'm righteous. So my job is to get back up again and go on with my life. Amen. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. 
Thank you for redeeming us and reconciling us to you through Jesus. Thank you for demonstrating on the cross radical forgiveness, unimaginable love, and mercy that flows eternally like a river. Thank you for all of that and who you are and who you've made us to be. Let us live out of the revelation of that we are in Christ. In you we live, move, and have our very being. Thank you for it, Papa, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.